Hi there, this is episode 49, and today is a special episode. I'm answering all your questions on how I feed my kids. You are listening to the Simple Families Podcast, a Q&A style show that brings you solutions for living well with family. Here's your host, Danae Barahona. Hi there, this is Danae. Thanks for tuning in. Today, I have a little bit of a different type of episode for you. I recently wrote a blog post entitled Exactly How I Feed My Kids, and in it, I went into detail of the different strategies and ideas that I keep in mind when I'm feeding my kids. And I put a lot of thought into the process because I've spent several years researching feeding young children and the important role that parents play in this process. I actually even wrote my doctoral dissertation on the topic. So this blog post, which I'm going to put for you in the show notes at simplefamilies.com forward slash episode 49, well, it brought up a lot of questions. So today, instead of just answering one question from a reader like I usually do, I'm going to be answering many questions. Now, I'm going to be moving through them rather quickly, so I will tell you that I'm going to be a straight shooter on these. I'm not going to sugarcoat anything. I'm going to tell you exactly what I would do in these situations. Now, just because I would do it this way doesn't mean that it's the best fit for your family, and it doesn't mean it's the only way. But you asked, so I'm going to answer. If you haven't read the post yet, I would suggest that you go over to the show notes and get that link there, so simplefamilies.com forward slash episode 49. That way you'll be in the loop and understand what I'm talking about. Okay, question number one comes from Patina. Her question What do you do when a child refuses to come to the table for a meal? Well, Patina, I would try to understand, are they refusing to come to the table because they're trying to avoid eating or they're trying to avoid leaving what they're currently doing? Sometimes our kids get really involved in things and they don't want to step away and they don't want to leave those things. So if that's the case, I would try to make sure to pattern your day so that they're not doing their most fun, beloved activity. Or they're not watching their favorite show on TV, whatever it is, right before dinner time, because sometimes it can be hard to pull them away from that sort of thing. Now, if it's on the flip side, if you find that they're actually avoiding coming to the table because they don't want to sit at the table and they don't want to be part of the family mealtime, then I think it's important to really take a good look at what mealtime looks like in your family. Is this a pleasant time? Is it an enjoyable time? And it's also too important to consider, are they hungry? Because children who are hungry will come to the table and will eat. Gina asks, Can you explain the theory behind no talking about food at the table? Now, Gina, this isn't a rule that I have per se that no one's allowed to talk about food, but as a general rule of thumb, my husband and I don't initiate conversation about food. So we don't, we don't ask, do you like it? How is it? Are you done? Do you want more? Instead, we let our kids express their needs when it comes to eating and we don't pry into likes and dislikes. I really like the time at the table with my kids to be spent no different than the time that I would spend with my husband at dinner if we went out to dinner. And if I went out to dinner with my husband, I wouldn't constantly be nagging him about the food. Do you like it? Is it okay? Is it warm enough? Do you want more? Instead, we would be talking about what goes on on a regular basis. We'd be talking about our family and our work and that sort of thing. So I try to keep the conversation oriented towards 
people and to each other rather than talking about the process of eating. Kate asked, what kind of foods do you serve at lunch, including any packed lunches? We homeschool with two days a week, basically a co-op, so we do both. At lunch, they get to pick their lunch within limits, but dinner, I cook more for me and my husband and his allergies. I try not to cook for lunch as much. It's a lot more work than I want to do on most days. Well, Kate, I cook at lunchtime about 50-50, but it's always something very simple. My preference is to do leftovers for lunch, so I usually will double or triple meals when I'm cooking for dinner so that we can eat at least for one or two days for lunch for leftovers. But when I do cook, something really easy that I do is I fill up my instant pot, which is my pressure cooker, full of vegetables, and I will do a whole instant pot full of um, vegetables. And usually I'll pick one green and one orange. So I'll do carrots and green beans or sweet potatoes and broccoli and we'll do steamed vegetables with some avocado oil drizzled over top and some herbs sprinkled on that with salt and pepper and then I usually include some kind of protein so sometimes I'll roll up pieces of turkey and ham and serve that alongside it couple other things I do on a regular basis. My son absolutely loves pizza and we have a really great favorite gluten-free pizza that we love. And I buy the cheese version and I scrape off a lot of the cheese because it's covered in cheese. And then I put spinach all over the top and drizzle some olive oil and salt and pepper and I bake it with spinach. So um, adding some vegetables, spinach or red peppers or green peppers, that sort of thing. So I take a plain cheese frozen pizza and add things on top of that. We live in Texas, so we also eat a lot of tamales for lunch. We can find frozen tamales readily available in the grocery stores, and I find that's a really great sort of all-in-one, quick, easy-to-go meal. I don't pack lunches at this point for either of my kids, so I don't really have too much input on that for you. Nicole asked, how long does mealtime last for you? Do you set a timer? If my daughter doesn't eat, when is it time to take her plate away? She could literally sit at the table for two hours. It really depends on the day, Nicole. I, generally, our meals are pretty short. I would say 10 to 15 minutes. And I'm totally fine with my kids leaving the table before I do. I don't set a timer. I don't mandate a certain amount of time that they need to sit at the table. The research shows us that we need to set a positive tone and it needs to be an enjoyable experience for our kids in order to get them to eat well. So by dictating how long they have to sit at the table and setting a lot of restrictions as far as that goes, um, I think sometimes that can really upset kids and I don't really think it serves much of a purpose. So my kids sit at the table, they come to the table hungry, so they always, almost always eat. They eat, and then when they're done, sometimes they'll hang out for a few minutes, and sometimes they'll leave. Now, once they leave the table, they are done with their meal. I don't have them. I don't allow them to get up and down and up and down and keep eating. So I would say if your daughter could sit at the table for two hours and eat, I think you just need to find a time that works for your family. So if you're trying to limit that time, maybe you could set a timer for 30 minutes, and at the end of the 30 minutes, you take that away. 
I really like visual timers and I'll put a link for a visual timer in the show notes as well at simplefamilies.com forward slash episode 39. And the visual timer allows kids to see how much time is left from a very early age, even before they can tell time. So by setting a visual time, she can start to gauge how fast she needs to eat before her time runs up. Because you're right, you can't sit there for two hours with her at the dinner table. That's just far too long. But overall, I like to give my kids autonomy in deciding how long they're going to be at the dinner table. But I understand that there are sometimes circumstances where you do need to tweak this. Erin wrote, Love this, Danae. When did this system become solidified for your family? I have a 13-month-old that's a fabulous eater. We exposed him to a variety of foods early and haven't ever felt the need to force him to eat. However, snack times can be tricky. He will sometimes only nibble on a snack and seem to be done, but an hour later be ravenously hungry. Maybe I'm not timing snacks right. Erin, your question about when this became solidified for my family, we really started on this path as early as six months. Both my kids started with baby led weaning at six months. And with baby led weaning, I'll put a link in the show notes to my getting started with baby led weaning guide too, because I think it's a really great thing. Um, but when you're starting with baby led weaning, you're really letting kids lead the way with eating. You're letting them eat when they're hungry. I think this is important for snack times too. Now, when we're home on a regular day, my kids will have three meals, which are at times of my choosing, which fit into our schedule, and then two snacks, generally two snacks, because I really don't give snacks unless my, unless my kids ask for it. Now, you have a 13-month-old, Aaron, and I have a 14-month-old, and I'll tell you that my 14-month-old for about a month, she's been seeking out snacks when she's hungry. And I'll know that she's hungry, even though she can't talk because she goes to her high chair and climbs into her high chair. Um, my, my oldest actually did this as well. He was a late walker, so he wasn't quite walking yet at this age. But he would go to his high chair. He would crawl over to his high chair as early as 12 months and just shake the high chair when he was ready. So they were able to give me signs. So rather than having snack time at a set time, I really let my kids seek out when they need those snacks. And some days they don't even care to have a snack. They don't ask for a snack. But I do give them the snacks when they are, in fact, hungry. Now, that can be a little tricky because if it's too close to dinner time, then I'll put them off for a while. So I would say if it's within an hour of dinner, the snack would be very small. Or I would just try to hold off until dinner was ready. Heather asked, what about kids with sensory issues that affect palate and smell? So neither of my kids have feeding disorders. And I think it's estimated somewhere around 5% of kids in the population do have feeding disorders. So feeding disorders are a very real thing. We tend to see feeding disorders in kids with developmental challenges. And that will take the form of kids who are sensitive to different textures and that sort of thing. Now, like I said, 5% of kids have actual feeding disorders. There's a very large percentage of kids who claim to be sensitive to textures. There's actually even a large percentage of adults who claim to be sensitive to textures. Now, I'm going to go ahead and say something that you might not agree with, but I have found that generally kids don't necessarily have sensory sensitivities when it comes to texture. What they have is they've been underexposed to textures. 
So just like new flavors and new tastes, textures need adequate experience. So what will happen is if a parent feeds a child a food and they think, oh, he must not like the texture, they'll stop feeding it. And it goes to the same for flavor. When a parent feeds a child a food that they don't think that they like, they'll stop feeding it. But in actuality, they should be doing the opposite. They should be feeding that food much more often. So kids who are resistant to certain textures and to certain flavors need to be exposed to those textures and flavors more often rather than avoiding them, which might be the tendency of parents. So Heather, if your child has a sensory aversion to textures and that sort of thing, Unless there's a diagnosed feeding disorder and you're receiving feeding therapy for this, I would say go ahead and start feeding those sensitive foods more often so that your child has more time to become accustomed to them. Kristen wrote, help me understand how to keep my son at the table and engaged long enough to eat. He'll be up after he's eaten enough to take the edge off hunger and expect to come back to the same plate when he feels hungry again an hour or two later. We started with no refined sugar, honey and maple syrup in very limited quantities, no candy or no desserts at home. Fruit was our sweet thing. Once he was out of the high chair, though, all bets were off. I became the parent who begged my child to eat, not the parent who I wanted to be. Now, Kristen, there's hope. There's lots of hope. This is definitely something that you can turn around. Now, your question, how do you get your son to stay at the table and engage long enough to eat? He needs to be hungry. As parents, we're really afraid of letting our kids get hungry, and I think that hangriness is a very real thing, and kids do sometimes behave pretty out of control when they get really hangry, so I understand that. But hunger is a natural sensation. It's a natural sensation that drives us to eat. So by letting our kids get a little bit hungry, they're going to eat better as a result. So by letting your son be hungry and come to the table hungry, he's going to come to the table, he's going to eat what he needs to eat, and then he might get up and leave, and that's okay. Now, it sounds like you think he's not staying long enough at the table and he's not eating enough, and he he wants to come back later and eat more. So what you need to do is stop feeding him again later on. So you tell him, Here's your food. You get to eat this food. And when you leave the table, you're all done with this meal for tonight. And then the next morning, he can come and have as much as he wants to eat for breakfast. After a couple of days of this, he'll start to get the idea very quickly that a meal is when you come and you sit down and you eat. And then you eat until you're full and then you leave. Now, this might sound a little bit harsh, but the reality is this is a lesson that all children need to learn. And there's no age that's too young to teach it. I have heard some cases where pediatricians will tell parents that kids should be allowed to graze on food for the first few years of life until they're three or four or so. But I don't think those pediatricians have ever actually tried to break that habit in a three or four year old because it can be extremely difficult. And it also feels a little unfair. A child who's had three or four years to establish a behavior and it's been perfectly okay, then one day the parent comes in and says, nope, you can't do this anymore. No more grazing. You're too old to graze. That can be really hard for a kid to understand. So anyone who's out there that's considering taking this approach, just keep that in mind. It's just much easier to start with a no grazing policy from the very beginning. 
This question comes from Caitlin. She wrote, would love your tips for preparing greens slash veggies for tiny tots who only have a few teeth. I'm in a rut. Caitlin, I do a lot of green juice and green smoothies. I also will put spinach, I'll saute spinach and then put it into scrambled eggs. Um, I'll even blend spinach with water. So like if I'm making pancakes or muffins or something that requires water, I'll just throw the water in with some spinach in a blender before I put it into the pancakes or muffins and make green water and then use the green water. Um, And you actually don't really taste it all that much, but it's a good way to integrate the greens when you can't really chew them. Mandy wrote, sometimes we'll put a side dish out on the table for dinner and tell kids they can take as much as they want to eat. How do you deal with kids who take too much and then decide they're not hungry and then it gets wasted? Mindy, I would try to help them understand that they only take a small amount to begin with, and then they can ask for more. So maybe it's one spoonful or whatever the standard amount is, that everybody starts with the same amount, and you're welcome to have second helping or third helping or whatever it is when you've finished what's on your plate. But some sort of standard unit of measurement, whether it be one spoonful or one cup or whatever it is, will help them to understand this is how much I take to start, and then I get to add more, and then I get to go back for more. Mandy also asked, her son is very busy, she said. How do you deal with kids that like to get up and down from the table during dinner time? I want him to understand that it's family time and say, if we're at a restaurant, it's not time to run around, but sit and spend time with us as a family, even if he's not hungry. He's only two. Mandy, I think you hit the nail on the head here. He's only two. So the amount of time that you can expect him to sit quietly and engaged at the dinner table is very short. So five to 10 minutes, I would say, is probably average. The time that he spends actually eating the food and then for maybe a minute or two after he's done eating the food. A lot of times when kids finish eating, when two-year-olds finish eating, they start to get into things and start to make a mess when they continue to sit at the table. And that's because they're having a hard time engaging in family time. They don't really understand the language that's being used at the table. They have a hard time participating in the conversation. So it's hard for them to be a part of family meal time. It's really easy for them to be a part of family time when you're down on the floor and you're playing with them. So as kids get older, they have a better appreciation for this time spent at the table. But at two, I wouldn't worry too much about him not being engaged during this time. But if you're like me and you don't want your kids getting up and down from the dinner table all the time, I would instill a rule that says once he gets down, he's done. Once his feet at the floor, he's done with the meal. And I think that's a really great way to start setting the expectations from the beginning that you don't get up and down from the table and go play and come back and graze on your food. Treen writes, may I ask how you deal with children who only pick one kind of food that you put on the table? How do you stop him or her from doing that? Treen, I would actually say I think it's a great thing that they're eating at least one thing that you're serving, and that's really the goal. The goal is not to get your kids to eat everything that's on the dinner table. It's just to serve food and have them eat and be satisfied. So you might be serving sweet potatoes, broccoli, and chicken, and they only eat the sweet potatoes. The next night, you could serve the same thing, and maybe they only eat the chicken, whatever it is. As long as they're eating and filling up, I wouldn't worry too much about it. Now, if it's something like bread and they're only eating bread, then I would know that and sort of preemptively stop serving the bread. 
So always trying to serve at least one thing that you know that your kid will eat pretty well, but trying to avoid something that, and for a lot of kids it is bread, trying to avoid serving some things like that that you know that kids are going to fill up on really easily. Or if you do decide to serve something like bread, just setting a rule. You get one piece of bread. And we don't really eat a lot of bread at our house, but when we go out to restaurants and there's bread at the table, I break off one piece for my kids and I say, here's your piece. When you eat this, you're done. And they know that the expectation is after they finish that piece, they're done. Sarah wrote, our hardest meal is dinner time. When I pick my daughter up from daycare, she's ravenous. I pick her up between 5.15 and 5.30, and we try to have dinner ready by 6.30. Sooner if my husband gets home from work and starts the dinner prep while we're on our way. I offer her a snack in the car, but I limit the amount because I know that dinner is approaching. But she screams and cries when she finishes her snack. Usually this lasts several minutes, sometimes even until dinner is being served. If I give her more snacks, she hardly touches dinner. It's often a rough part of our day, but I can't seem to find a middle ground. Sarah, it sounds like you are making the right decision in knowing that it is really important that our kids eat at mealtime. So providing them with a little bit of snack to hold them over is the best way to go about this. I think you're on the right track. Now, of course, she's upset because especially if this is a snack that she really likes that you're feeding her, she's going to want more and more and more. And she's going to want to completely fill up on that snack. So if you've decided that that's not what you want her to do, you want her to wait for the mealtime, you're teaching her a really great life lesson that snacks are meant to just hold us over and when the meal is ready, we're going to eat and everybody's going to be okay. So I would say stick with it and hold your ground if this is something that's important to you, if this is a lesson that you do want to teach her. Claire wrote, thanks for the post. My 21-month-old 20 is a snackaholic. She demands snacks anytime she's in her stroller, and sometimes I can't get her into the stroller without offering her a tiny snack. Any advice on how to reverse the bad habits of relying on snacks to stay happy in public? Much appreciated. Claire, so this is what I would do personally. This might not be a good fit for you, but what I would do is I would go cold turkey. I would say, starting tomorrow, we are not going to get for snacks in the stroller anymore. And then your first few outings in public, make them not so public public. So maybe you're going on a walk in a quiet neighborhood or whatever it is. So get her out of the car, get her into the stroller and practice a few times so that she has those first really big tantrums when there aren't hundreds of people around watching. Now, there's a commonly known concept in behavior management called the extinction burst. So what that is, is when you're trying to cut out a behavior like this, these tantrums for snacks that she wants every time she gets in the stroller, when you're trying to extinguish or cut out this behavior, there tends to be a burst. So it tends to get worse before it gets better. So I would venture to say you're probably going to see some really, really big, big tantrums for the snacks when she gets in the stroller for the first few times, but then it's going to die off because it's going to click and she's going to understand like, hey, it doesn't matter how much I tantrum. It doesn't matter how much I yell. I'm not going to get the snacks in the stroller. We're not doing that anymore. So I would recommend going cold turkey on this and practicing it somewhere that's a little bit quiet, maybe not with lots of people within range. Lisa wrote, hi, I believe we have a good healthy meal plan in our home, although admittedly, admittedly the snacking can change. I'm curious if you don't coach your kids to eat, do your kids eat vegetables? Because my kids would choose to eat rice and chicken, for example, and leave the vegetable. Or how do you prepare the food? So I don't coach my kids at all to eat. I just make them a plate and set it in front of them and they eat what they want to eat. Now, 
they do eat the vegetables. So that's just sort of always been our routine. I've never pressured them to do it. I've always made it available to them. And some days they'll eat a lot of vegetables and some days they won't eat any vegetables. And that's completely okay with me. A big part of getting kids to eat new foods is to have a really great attitude and a really great environment at the table. So no pressure, no arguing, no power struggles. We know that when the mealtime looks like this, kids are much likely to eat more. So it seems counterintuitive that if we were to encourage or to pressure our kids to eat more, that they actually would eat more when the reality is in the long run, they end up eating less. They don't eat as well when we pressure them. So you ask how I prepare the food. Now I do all sorts of things with, especially with vegetables. I do sort of a mix between steaming and roasting. Now, if you are introducing new bitter flavors like asparagus and broccoli and spinach and that sort of thing. Roasting vegetables will help help take some of the bitter out of it. So if you want to sort of get kids to slowly warm up to some of these bitter vegetables, do try roasting them because that's going to help the flavor be a little bit more palatable because bitter is the flavor that's resisted the most by young children. Justine's question is, I have trouble getting my kids to drink enough water. They literally will not drink as much as they need. They were cranky and had very dark urine and I think they were dehydrated on a daily basis. We are a no-juice household for a very long time, but I've recently started adding some juice to their water so they drink a lot more and seem much better off. Do you have any good ideas for getting kids to drink enough plain water? I hate having to add juice. Justine, I would tell you to stop adding juice right now because you're right. When your kids drink juice, they're going to urinate more and their urine is going to be more clear. And that's going to be the case for anyone that consumes more liquids. So if you give me a few glasses of wine, I'll definitely use the bathroom more, but is it healthy for me? No. I think if they're not showing other signs of dehydration, if they're still having regular bowel movements and their skin looks fine and their lips are moist, I wouldn't worry about dehydration. I would talk to your doctor about it, but Sometimes we have these expectations in our mind for how much our kids are supposed to eat and how much they're supposed to drink. And the reality is we don't really know how much they're supposed to get. And the kids get kids get a lot of liquids through their foods. So if they're eating a lot of fruits, um, if they're eating soups, that sort of thing. So sometimes they're getting a lot more liquids than we actually anticipate. And just because they're not drinking the water doesn't mean they're not getting the fluids. I wouldn't get into the habit of adding juice just to get them to drink because I don't actually think that they need it. You can talk to the doctor about it, but unless they're really showing some serious signs of dehydration, kids are going to drink water when they need it and they're going to hydrate themselves. This isn't something that we need to monitor as parents unless there is a special case and there are medical issues involved. I would probably contribute the crankiness to something else. So my best advice to you, Justine, would be to cut the juice back out and take a deep breath and try to relax about this one and try not to monitor their water intake and trust that they're going to take what they need when they need it. Amy asked, I'd be curious about which green vegetables you're serving and in what format by age. I follow a mostly baby led weaning approach and I'm not far out from your feeding schedule. All food is consumed at the table except when we're out at a picnic or in the stroller for a long duration. But sometimes I struggle with offering age-appropriate green sources for my new one-year-old. Spinach in a healthy muffin? Leaves of lettuce from my salad? We do some zucchini and peas, but the leafy greens have stumped me especially. And asparagus can be so stringy and hard to get down. Likewise with broccoli, unless I've absolutely killed it with steaming. 
So Amy, I did already answer a question about some good ways to integrate greens, and I would recommend definitely trying some of those ways. Lettuce is just really hard. Even my three-year-old now doesn't really eat lettuce. It's pretty hard to chew, and it doesn't really add a whole lot of nutritional value. So I've never really pushed it on my kids. Um, But I mean, I know that there are kids out there that eat it. I'm not completely ruling it out. Asparagus, I would just chop instead of, I know there are some people, especially people that do baby led weaning that just hand whole pieces of asparagus to their kids, but I found that it also gets stringy. So my kids eat it a lot better if I do chop it up. Okay. Another question from Amy, she wrote, I'm curious about this too. What do you do if, what do you do at bedtime if dinner was light and they're complaining of hunger? I can't support sending a kid to bed hungry, especially if it's not a delay tactic, but a true feeling. Advice is appreciated. So I wouldn't be afraid to offer the meal again, whatever they didn't eat, to offer it again at bedtime. So if they only ate a few bites, you can stick it in the fridge. And if they want a snack at bedtime, you can offer it up again. If you want to give a bedtime snack, that's perfectly okay too. Unless you get the sense that kids are not eating their dinner and holding out for another 20 or 30 minutes and waiting for a bedtime snack or the after-dinner yogurt, as I call it, because for some reason it always seems like it's the yogurt that kids are getting um, right before bed that they're seeking out. So a lot of kids will say no to dinner and then have a yogurt instead. So if you feel like this is becoming a habit, then I would try to avoid that and just serve whatever the dinner was again and giving them that opportunity to eat. Now, if they still won't eat the food, but they'll eat the yogurt, that means they're actually really not that hungry. I'm going to take one more question, and I know that I didn't get quite to all of them, but there's a lot. It's kind of overwhelming. So I'm going to get to this last question from Carrie, and she wrote, I love to give him snacks at the store. So Carrie had a couple of different questions, so I'm going to address her questions, and then I'm going to wrap this up. She wrote, I was always taught that children under three should be allowed to eat any time, because if they want food... When they are hungry, you should give it to them. However, my son just loves to snack all day and doesn't eat much for lunch. Carrie, sometimes you'll hear this, that kids should be allowed to graze, but I don't recommend it at all. Now, infants in the first year of life should be milk-fed on demand. So their breast milk or formula feeding should all be fed when they're hungry. But when they start to eat solid food, those foods should be fed on a schedule. So milk feedings on demand, solid food feedings on a schedule and then take it from there. So yes, I do think that you should get your kids on a schedule and not allow grazing unless that's something that you are okay with in your house. And it sounds like you're not crazy about it. So I think you need to stick to your guns on this one. So that's going to wrap it up. That was a lot of information. So if I didn't cover something, if I didn't get to your question, feel free to email it to me again at danae at simplefamilies.com. And I'd be happy to answer that in a subsequent episode. If you're interested in reading more about this topic or about simple living with families, the best way to stay in touch with Simple Families is to go to simplefamilies.com and click get started and you'll stay in touch with all the updates on the blog, on the podcast, and in the community. Thanks so much for tuning in today to this very long special episode and I hope you have a great one. 